You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Okay, well, you can now find a seat. You may not have been able to do that a few minutes ago, but now you can find a seat as the kids have emptied out. And uh, um, so good again to come together, as I mentioned already. And uh, if you're joining us online, just a special welcome to you. Um, perhaps you have one of the many bugs going on uh, right now, or uh, you're, you're just checking us out. So uh, we want to welcome you. And if you're a regular attender, if you could just indicate uh, that you watched online, that would be helpful. Well, we are in Genesis, and uh, we are coming to the conclusion of Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you were not with us last week, just a reminder of, of uh, how do we get to where we're uh, getting to this morning. Uh, we've seen uh, Adam and Eve have sinned against God, and uh, uh, curses have been now handed out. This is what we looked at last Sunday, uh, curses that um, would result in painful toil, um, toilsome labor for a lifetime, uh, both for Eve and for Adam. Uh, for Eve, it was di directed uh, towards motherhood. For, for Adam, it was directed towards working the ground, that work now would be hard, that they would still fulfill the mandate, but that, that it would be hard from this time on. And, and of course, this day has been devastating, uh, but, but it's not over yet. Now, there's still uh, four, four more verses here that we're going to be studying this morning. And, and they're in the garden while all this is going on, but they won't be in the garden by the time we get to the end of the chapter. And what I've entitled this sermon this morning is Life Outside the Garden. Uh, this is our reality. Uh, we are not in the Garden of Eden. I, I don't know that anybody really needs to uh, me explain that to them this morning. We are in a place that um, is under the curse we're in a place where there is much pain and sorrow. Um, but I want us to see even in the midst of this, there is grace, there is mercy, there is hope. Uh, this is what we're going to see in the text this morning. But I also want us to think about the fact that we're going to a garden. It's really a fascinating thing. Like, um, I don't know if you're into like... Um, you know, fantasy kind of literature like the Lord of the Rings kind of thing or The Hobbit or the C.S. Lewis stuff. And then those are fascinating and they kind of, you know, they, they get our attention and, we, and we're like, man, that, that was a really cool story. But I want you to know that we're in the coolest story uh, that ever has been written and you are a main character in it. And, and when you think about kind of the way that, that the Lord has written this story, begins in the garden, but it will end in the garden. Like, your final destination is a garden. Have you, have you ever thought about that? Have you, have you considered that? Do you meditate on that? Can I, can I just help us to do that this morning? Uh, anyone whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, this is what it said of you. How do I get my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, we're going to be talking about that this morning, but it is by putting your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by recognizing that you are a sinner, repenting of that sin and placing your trust in Him, having Him cover your sins. And if 
you have done that, and if you're trusting in him this morning, then I want you to picture your future. And so, sometimes we can be easily distracted, so why don't we just close our eyes, and I want you just to, I'm going to read it slow, and I want you to read, I want you to understand the picture that is given to us in Revelation 22. Again, this is not a hypothetical, this is your reality. This is what you will see someday. This is what John has been given as a revelation, a place where we will one day be as well. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You see it? Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. God's presence will be seen again. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's your future. Do you believe that this morning? Do you think of it from time to time? as we live life outside the garden. This is your home. This is where you're going to. Right now, you're just camping. For some of you, that you're okay with that. I'm not a big camper. And, um, and I, when, I th when I think of that analogy, I, I'm, I'm really excited about getting to our permanent home someday. So what do we do between the gardens? What do we do in this time that God has given us? Where do we find hope? And we're gonna see that in the text this morning. Let me pray for us one more time before we get into it, and then we'll study together. God, we thank you for your revelation to us. We thank you that though in this world we have pain, we have sorrow, this is not it. There is life to come. Lord, we cannot wait to be in this garden, Lord, the one that we've just read about. How incredible will it be to be in your presence, to enjoy your beauty, to enjoy your glory, no longer being under the curse. God, we long for that day, cannot wait for that day, and Lord, we know based on what your scriptures tell us, that, that this day is coming soon. Lord, the only reason you have not taken us to this day is because of your grace, because of your mercy towards the lost. Lord, it is your desire to still see more saved. And God, we pray that even this morning, that if there are those here who have yet to call upon your name, God, today, Lord, would, they, would this be the day where you would open their eyes to see who you are? And God, for those of us who are your people, God, I pray for endurance, for strength, for encouragement, 
Lord, as we look to your word this morning, I pray that we would be in awe of who you are and that, Lord, we would be excited to serve you as we leave this place this morning. So, Lord, lead this preacher. Help him to speak your words with clarity. Help him to speak your word, not his own, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have one, go ahead and slip up your hand, and the ushers are going to be happy to give you a copy. Maybe you slipped out of the house and forgot it, or you don't own one. Either way, just put up your hand. They'll give you one, and then turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, and um, in order to, to feel the impact, I want us just to remind us of Genesis 1 and 2. A, a world that was perfect, the world that God had created. Uh, everything was good, we read in Genesis 1. It was a place of intimacy and love, a, a place of great provision. This is what this world one day was. But sin came into the world and then therefore a curse upon it and as we've already talked about and, and, and so they've been given the consequences for their sin and now we read this in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. A devastating end, but even in this, we see grace. And as we think about this text, we, we, I want us to see three different ways that we find grace under the curse. How do we find grace under the curse? First, accepting God's promise, life by faith. Accepting God's promise, life by faith. This is how we find grace under the curse. Again, verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Uh, think again about the context. It's all bad. It's all negative. Since that moment that they've taken a bite of the fruit, it's all gone wrong. They've been told that they will suffer. And immediately after that, though, we see Adam saying that his wife's name is Eve because she will be the mother of all living. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of hope. Now, how did we get to this place? Well, by disbelieving God's word. That's why sin had come into the world. They had not believed God's word. Eve was deceived by the serpent. Yeah, he said, hey, God's keeping back from you. Now, you think about Satan's task here. It was no small task. They were living in a literal paradise, in perfect intimacy, in perfect love. Like, I mean, they had 
everything they could ever have wanted. They were able to come in and out of the presence of God. He would come and visit them in the garden, as we see in Genesis 3. And they had everything, and yet Satan says, God is still keeping back from you. He knows that if you eat of the tree of which he told you not to, you will be like him. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be God? And so they eat. They disbelieve God. They trust Satan and his word, and they disbelieve God and his word. And so when Adam calls his wife's name Eve, we see a repentance. We see a shift in his thinking. No longer is he disbelieving God's word. He is believing God's word. What, that what has just been said, that through Eve, the seed of woman, serpent, Satan will be defeated, and that she will give birth, though it will be hard. It's a statement of faith. The word for Eve is hava. The word means life. She will be called life. Why? Because she was the mother of all living. I think, I think the translators have a problem here. She was the mother of all living? I mean, that sounds past tense. What's going on here? Well, the, the English translation actually is really accurate to the Hebrew. This is in the perfect tense. It is, it is, it is a statement of fact based on belief. Not because it's happened already, but because of the belief that it will happen. Now, Hamilton says this, the use of the perfect reinforces the certainty of the distant fact. It is as good as done. It's a, in uh, Hebrew terminology, it's the prophetic perfect. And we see this happen throughout the Old Testament. These prophecies that, that this says, if you don't do this, then this will happen. And, and so it's in this sense. It is with certainty that Adam believes that Eve will become the mother of all living. He is believing the word of God that he has just heard. In faith, he believes that what God says is true and that Satan now is a liar. He understands this to be true. In naming his wife, Adam once again is practicing his headship. Uh, earlier that day, not so good, right? While Eve is being tempted by the serpent, he's sitting around. It seems like he's within at least earshot of what's going on and doesn't do anything. But now he's practicing his headship as he ought to. He's naming his wife. He is, he's believing in faith that what God is saying is true. Matthew says it like this, before and after the fall, the man is exercising the same prerogative of naming. In the former case, he is her source of life. Remember, she came from his rib. And by naming her woman, he is acknowledging her companionship. But here he admits his indebtedness to her for life's future. And so it's with honor and respect that he names her. You see, in believing God's word, Adam is anticipating the children that will be born to him and Eve. We're going to meet them next week. All right? Cain and Abel. You may have heard them even if you've never been to church before. And not a great pair of siblings, right? There's, there's going to be uh, one of them at least. <laughs> That's so great. And, and, and um, 
and that they're not yet born. But he's also anticipating the promise of the seed of woman defeating Satan. Can imagine, he's like, I hope it's tomorrow. I, 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 hope, I hope, hope that baby's conceived soon and that baby's grown up and, and is able to crush Satan right away. They, that's that's the, the hope, that's the faith that they had, that the, the one born of Eve will crush Satan. And they, they didn't know it was going to take a long time before Christ would come. And so they had anticipation that he would be the one, the one whom we still wait. Remember, it says in Romans 16, 13, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That is still to come. And it is with certainty that we believe that because Christ has already come and defeated sin and Satan and death. And one day soon when he returns, when, when the t- period of grace is over and judgment arrives, Satan will be crushed and defeated once and for all. And so just as Adam anticipated the fulfillment of that promise, we too anticipate the fulfillment of the promise. Once again, we are seeing God's grace at work in the garden. He has been given, Adam's been given faith here. We read in Ephesians 2, for by grace, Are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? He's been given grace to believe God's word, to repent. We're not going to learn a lot more about Adam and Eve. We're going to hear that they had some kids, and then we're going to learn that Adam lived about 930 years and died. That's about it after this. And so sometimes you wonder, like, um, are they going to be in heaven? Are we going to see them there? I think we are. I think we are. Based on what we see here, based on what we're going to see in the next verse, I think God gave them faith. In fact, we see Eve acknowledging God. Genesis 4.1, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Genesis 4.25, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. She's acknowledging the Lord in these things. And so God's grace is bringing about repentance and giving faith to Adam and Eve that they might believe and trust God's word. This is what we all need, God's grace to believe. God's grace to believe that what he says and hear is true. It's my prayer that everyone here, everyone who might be watching or listening, that they would know that God's word is true, that Satan is a liar, Satan who will take and twist God's word. He is not to be trusted, but God is faithful. God is true to his word every time. And that you would find repentance and place your hope and trust in him. This is how we find grace under the curse, acknowledging that we are sinners and that God's word is true. But it doesn't end there. First, we see God's grace in accepting God's promise by life, by faith. Second, acquiring God's provision, forgiveness through sacrifice. Forgiveness through sacrifice. It says in verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God doesn't need to do this. That's what grace is. We understand that, right? 
Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. There's nothing owed by God to do this. He, he doesn't ha- he's not under no obligation to care for Adam and Eve in this way. And yet out of his love and his compassion and his care for them, he clothes them. Interesting, it says the Lord God made. The last time we, we, we heard about making, it was that he was creating the earth. He's creating all that was in it. And then on the seventh day, he rested from making. And now he's making again. He's creating these, these, these garments for them. Now, you may recall they had tried to cover their shame with their own making, right? They had come up with these fig leaf loincloths to cover their shame. Pretty pathetic. Just like anytime we try to cover our shame. And I think this is, this, this is a lot more than just clothing going on here, right? I think God is communicating to us a message in these verses that has been all through the scripture. In order for shame to be covered, God must do it. What, what are you talking about shame for? Do, do, do you recall? And in Genesis 2, it says that they were naked and not ashamed. Sin was that which brought shame. And so they're trying to cover their shame, their nakedness, through their own works. But now God graciously gives them garments. Tunics is what, uh, you know, you guys, you, anybody wearing a tunic here today? Okay, we, well, okay, we don't. We don't really do the tunic thing here in Canada, but they still do in many places of the world. But it's a garment that would start at the shoulders and go all the way down to your knees or down to your ankles. And so now they are covered properly. God is providing for them before removing them from the shelter of the garden and putting them out of the garden. He is providing for them in giving them this covering. But I, again, as I've said, I feel like there's so much more than just that going on. It's not just simply about the garment. It's about the covering. It's the covering of their shame. You will note that the garments are made of animal skins. Animal skins. Now, God's God. He could have just, you know, found a sheep and just kind of scooped off some wool and made something with that, right? Thrown that on them, made some nice clothes from that. But there's something being communicated here. Blood must be shed in order for shame to be covered. This is what is being communicated. There is a cost. There is a sacrifice needed in order for shame to be covered. The shame needs to be covered by God. And so he is the one who makes it. He is the one who gives it to them. And we see them receive it which again is what is needed by you and I today. We know that Christ has died on a cross to cover sin, but it is only covers the sins of those who receive it, who have repented and believed on him. Now, I find with Genesis, my imagination is continually running. He just tells us, hey, this is what he did. 
he got some animal skins and gave them to him for clothing. What did that look like? I think, based on what we're seeing in Genesis 4, I think they're seeing this all take place. Because by Genesis 4, we see that they understand that a sacrifice to God is the right thing to do. Right? Abel sacrificing the animal to God. There's something that we, clearly we're not told everything in the book of Genesis. We're not, we're not told all that, like, where did she come from? You know, how did, how did they get wives? And, you know, like, we don't, we're not told all, we're just told what God wants us to know. That's really important for us to understand as we study the book of Genesis. But I think they understand there's something about blood being shed and a sacrifice to be had in order to cover sin based on what we see in Genesis 4. Of course, the original recipients of this, who is it? It's the Israelites who have been taken out of Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land. <clears throat> Excuse me. They are the ones who are understanding this, and so they understand the sacrificial system. Matthew says this, The God of the garden, as creator and savior, mirrors the God of tabernacle sacrifice, whom Israel had come to recognize by the voice of Moses and the prophets. They would understand, in order to have your shame and sin covered, blood must be shed. They had been taught the specific ways that sacrifice must happen in order for sin to be covered. The lamb must be spotless in order for sin to be covered. They knew the need to have their sins covered. They knew that they understood that it must be continually because uh, continual sacrifice because they're they were a people who continued to sin. They understood that we cannot deal with our sin and shame, but that God has to. And we know, 2,000 years post-Christ, that the perfect Lamb of God has come to cover our sin and our shame. Romans 4, 7 says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. I just love this beautiful picture that we have all through the Bible. That our sins need to be covered. That as you think about these tunics given to Adam and Eve, it, it represented that their sins had been covered. And this morning, I, 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 I want to get you to think about, are my sins covered? You making fig leaves will not cover your sins. As pathetic as that picture is, so it is everyone who tries to cover their own sins. Those who, who think that they can somehow get into heaven. I've I seen a, a clip um, of Bruce Jenner, like it was a, a, a recent kind of clip, and he, they were asking him, you know, some, somehow he got onto the topic of heaven, and he said, you know, when I, when I get up to the pearly gates, I, I hope I've done enough. I, I hope, I hope he'll, he'll say, come on in. But the Bible teaches us, and, and it, was, it was heartbreaking to watch, honestly, because he, was, he had tears as he was saying this. 
But the Bible teaches us that there is no one who does good, not even one, that you cannot earn your way into heaven. It doesn't matter how many loincloths you make, doesn't matter how many good works you do, you will not do enough in order to get into heaven. The only way to get in is to have your sins covered. And the only way that that can happen is through the blood of Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed once and for all, for all sin. His sacrifice, perfect. No longer a need for lambs to be sacrificed on our behalf, because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's interesting, this, this, this snippet that we've seen in Genesis 3, it is, it is the story of creation. Today, billions of people walking in rebellion against God, and yet, just as we see here with Adam and Eve, God pursuing them in grace, in mercy, presenting to them the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, through his people. And if they would repent of their sin and place their trust in him, they will be covered. In the Bible, as we, as we studied the book of Romans, we see that we have been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he is our hope this morning. He is the way, he is the way that we find grace today. And I pray again that everyone can say yes, amen. Praise God. My sins have been covered by him. Well, as we were reminded last week, life will be hard. And we see now the final chapter, or the final, final part of this, of this day is them being removed from the garden. But again, as we began the sermon this morning, we anticipate God's presence, waiting in hope. This is what we do in life under the curse. We are anticipating God's presence. We are waiting in hope. Though there is grace and there is hope because of God's provision, right? We, we see that the life will continue. We, we see that they have been covered by God's grace by giving them these, these animal skins. The one thing that they cannot do now is remain in his presence in the garden. That that is no longer possible now because of their sin. Sinful humanity cannot remain in the perfect garden of God. There's no longer a, they are no longer fit for they are no longer fit for paradise while in their sinful flesh. And so we read in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil." Once again, we see God referring to himself as us. If you remember, it's a little while ago, right, when we studied Genesis 1, 26, it says, let us make man in our image. Some scholars think that us is kind of this reference to the heavenly court. But I, I think that based on what we see in the entirety of scriptures, these are early signs to us that God Though one is more than just one, that God is one in three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what he's referring to here. Let us make man in our image. And now he's saying here, behold, the man has become like one of us. 
This is what the church fathers believed about the word us in Genesis and as well as the reformers. So in what sense has Adam and Eve become like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What, 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 what can we say? In, in what way have they become like them? Well, I want us to just note that it is definitely not in the way that Satan had thought, that Satan had promised. I think he knew what, where the consequences would be. But what did he promise? Oh, man, if you do this, if you sin against God, it is going to be so good for you. If you rebel against his commands, you will be like God. What did they think? They thought power. They thought blessing. They, 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 they thought provision even more so. Who knows what we'll be able to do? I mean, we already got so much, but man, this is going to take it to the next level. Uh, clearly, that's not what they have received. They were promised life would be so much better if they just ate from the tree. This is, this is a lie of Satan. This is a lie of sin every time. Like, believer, do, do, you know, this last week, when you sinned, Pastor, you, you were, how would you know? How would you, you don't know if I sinned this last week. I think there's a really high likelihood you did. As we all are still in our sinful flesh and we are weak. And we are so easily deceived. And so we think that by sinning, we will improve our situation somehow. That's the lie every time. But what do we find? Though in the moment there may be pleasure, though in the moment you feel, feel justified for what you've done, in the end it brings shame, it brings destruction, it brings what we see here. May this picture be, this, this is cemented in our minds of what sin does. Again, I imagine taking of the fruit. Like, was it sweet? To the taste? Like, well, did it taste better than all the other fruit? We're not told. But we know what happens as soon as it's done. Like I, like I say, sometimes in sin, they, for the moment, it seems pleasurable. But, but by the time they're done swallowing, what has entered? Shame. Division blaming one another, hiding from God. There is so much pain and misery coming about as a result of this. Now they are being told that they will have a lifetime of hard toil, and they're about to be kicked out of the only home they've ever known. Access to God in the garden will be no more. Satan lied. He is a liar. That's who he is. That's what he does. As with every good lie, there is a little bit of an element of truth. Now they do know good and evil. God has just said that. They know God, uh, good and evil, but not like God. 
they have experienced evil. They have practiced evil. They have seen God's good and turned from it and committed wickedness. They know what it is to be a sinner now. This is, they, they are no longer innocent. They are no longer able to, to walk in freedom as they once did. Now they have this sinful flesh over them. They have, will have now a life apart from God. As I mentioned, 930 years Adam lived. Like, I'm 51, and I'm like, no thank you. I'm okay with our off-ramps nowadays. Like, I can't imagine. We talked about a lifetime of toil. I mean, he must have been feeling like that was like eternity. But, but there was an end to it. And this is what we need to see. Here's grace once again. Because he says, we must remove him from this situation, lest he reach out to the tree of life and eat of that. Eternity locked in your sinfulness. What God is doing here is preventing hell on earth. That's what he's preventing. A, a lifetime of falling into your sin over and over and over again. This is what God is preventing by removing them from the access to the tree of life. Voice says this, they are to be set free from sin only by a literal death and resurrection. And so it is with you and I. The only way that we will be fully separated from this world is to die and then be risen to new life, to be given new bodies, to become like him in the garden to come. And so God drives them out. So it says, it's verse 24, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Again, the, the devastation here is like, like, like what they've lost, none of us will ever be able to understand what they've lost. Again, just think about their day. We've been going through this for a while, so you're, you forget this all happened in a day. They woke up, hey, honey. Great day, full intimacy, perfect relationship. Wonder what time God's going to come by today. Like it's, you know, let's, let's start it another day. And at some point, the serpent comes along and deceives Eve. And God comes in the cool of the day. They hide from him. They make a bunch of lame excuses as to why they've done what they've done. Curses have now been passed upon them. And that says they are driven out of the garden. Can you imagine? Weeping and, and, and literally being cast out of the garden. They, they weren't like, okay, God, now what's next? They, they, 
cast out. I, 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 can't, I can't imagine the sorrow, the fear they had as they were being driven out of the garden. The place that God had placed them, the place that, that Adam had told, work this place. Now he cannot even get into that place. The place that they had known abundant provision, perfect intimacy, love, no pain, no shame, a place of God's presence. Now they're out. And we're told that the access to it from the east is guarded by cherubim and a flaming sword. I'm like, where was this place? Why is there access only one way? These are the kinds of things I think about during the week. Like, was it like on an island? And then there was like this, this, this ground, you know, like this bridgeway. And that's where they're guarding. Was it, was it so heavily wooded that there was only one pathway in? Like, I, these are the things I think about during the week. And, and, but there is only one way in. Again, what is Christians? You're starting like, oh, one, one way in. That, that resonates. Resonates with the people of Israel who have been told to build a tabernacle and later a temple Guess, guess which way the entrance was from the east. That's the way you get in to the temple, to the tabernacle, is through the east. Hamilton says this, in such a capacity, the cherubim functioned much, much like the later Levites who are posted as guards around the tabernacle and who are to strike down any person who encro- encroaches upon the forbidden sancta. There, there was, there was there, you, you couldn't just come into the tabernacle. Let's just go in and see, see, see what we see. Let's just go in and worship in the tabernacle. That's not, there, was a, there was a way that you would have to come in. And, and, and of course, the high priest one time a year would be able to go into the Holy of Holies. What do you think they seen, that the high priest, as he come in and, and, and seen that curtain before the Holy of Holies? What did he see? Cherubim. Cherubim have been sewn into the fabric. And that one time a year, he would come in to the mercy seat, to to the Ark of the Covenant, and what would he see there? Cherubim over the Ark, guarding the presence to the Lord. guarding, Guarding the entrance to the Lord. It's fascinating. You read in number 789, It says that when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the cherubim above the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony. And he spoke to him. The voice of God coming from between the cherubim. You want to do a little study this week? What what do these guys look like? Turn to Ezekiel 1, Daniel chapter 6. Revelation chapter 4, and what's interesting about these cherubim, they're always associated with the presence of the Lord. They're always surrounding him. And this is a reminder of what they are truly losing by being cast out of the garden. No longer able to enter into the presence of the Lord. This is the greatest tragedy of it all. 
no longer able to come into his presence. This is what sin does. It bars us from God. Well, I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. And your sin is keeping you from him, the one who created you, the one who knit you together. He has made a way, but you are barred from his presence without the covering of Christ. Again, I just think about this picture. I mean, the cherubim. Like, where was this place? No longer able to get into the garden. Just in case you're, you're wondering, hey, I wonder if we can slip by. There's a flaming sword there. Like, like if we try to go in by ourselves, we will die. That, that's, that's the message. Death to anyone who tries to enter into God's presence without the covering, without the blood of the lamb. This is the message that we have today. And now remove that picture of the cherubim in your mind and think now Christ at the door. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. Christ is the way into the garden. But it is only through him. If you do not have his forgiveness, if you do not have his blood covering you. Another beautiful picture that we're given in the scriptures that now we are covered with Christ's righteousness. This is what we are clothed with. This is how we are able to come into his presence. And without that, death, eternal death. I mentioned earlier that God saved us from hell on earth, but there is a hell. And for billions of people who do not have his covering, they will die on this earth. And they will go into an eternity locked in their sinful state. And they will receive the wrath of God for all of eternity. They will face a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. But God, in his grace, in life outside the garden, has said, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I will give you rest. I pray that everyone here this morning can say, okay, I know. I'm going to the garden. Life is hard here, but I'm going to that garden. I've received his grace, and I cannot wait for that day when all will be made right. I mentioned earlier, I like things like Lord of the Rings. And um, Gabriella is heading out here to New Zealand soon, so we, we thought she should do some sightseeing. So she watched some Lord of the Rings recently again. And, and um, there's this amazing line that Sam says at the end of the story. He says, Every, is everything sad going to come untrue? All sadness is going to be removed. All pain is going to be removed. And for those of us who are in Christ who have been covered with the tunic of his righteousness, everything sad will come untrue. And so I would plead with you this morning, if you have not yet been covered by Christ in his righteousness, 
that today you would stop believing Satan, you'd stop believing his lies, and that you would place your hope and trust in him. We'd love to see you in the garden. We pray. Oh God, you're so faithful. You're so good to us. Lord, truly, none of us deserve your grace, your mercy. We know that they have come at a great cost. The shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. Lord, help us to never take that for granted. God, also help us, Lord, as we, as we think about this text. Lord, help us to see that picture of devastation, of, of being outside the garden. This is what sin does. Lord, help us not to take sin lightly. Help us to be killing it, lest it be killing us, Lord, as, the, as John Owen once said. God, help us, Lord, to, to love your commandments, to love your ways to bring glory and honor to you, to, to put our trust in you even when it's hard, knowing that, that one day soon, Lord, you're going to return. And then all this toil, all this pain will be done with, and we will be with you for all of eternity. Lord, we cannot wait for that garden. Thank you for giving us that picture of it. And Lord, until that time, as we live life outside the garden, Lord, would you be honored would you be glorified through us in our service to you? Lord, we pray that even today you would add to those who will be in the garden as they place their hope and trust in you. Lord, would you do the work that only you can do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.